like if I'm if I'm a lawyer and, and I, I'm teaching my sports law class and say, OK, guys, here's the precedent. Donald Sterling kicked out for this. Jerry Richardson kicked out for this. A student's going to say, hey, Professor Brandt, what about Daniel Snyder? And I don't have a great answer. Welcome to the Edge of Sports Podcast. I'm Dave Zirin. This week we are talking to longtime NFL executive and current professor at Villanova Law School, Andrew Brandt, to give us an inside look at what it's like in the National Football League and what he thinks they are saying and even what the heck is going on with all these emails that are drip dripping out of NFL headquarters, what they represent, who could be next on the chopping block, and what it all means, for goodness sakes, because you know, you have this 650,000 email trove that was meant to investigate Daniel Snyder and the Washington football team. And the people who've taken a fall are John Gruden and to a lesser extent, ESPN reporter Adam Schefter. I mean, and Bruce Allen, who doesn't even work in the league anymore. So, so what the heck is going on? We're gonna talk to Andrew Brandt about that. Also, I've got some choice words about the latest attack on trans athletes in Texas. Uh, I've got some words about Kyrie Irving. We got some Jake's takes going on and more. But first, let's talk to Andrew Brandt. So I do want to talk about these emails. God, I feel like I'm having a 2016 flashback. Um, But first, when you saw the verbiage between John Gruden and Bruce Allen and others, did it shock you as someone who spent so many years in that world or do you feel like this is the way people talk generally behind closed doors in the nfl yeah dave now you're referring to sort of this second wave what we talked about with bruce allen and jeff pash going through some inner dealings between the team and the league and i'll have to say this and this may surprise people but i was not surprised uh, I'll just say this. Bruce Allen is a master politician. The NFL, like a lot of big businesses, or if people are watching this, like their own small business, is very political. It's very political. It's about relationships. It's about political capital. It's about you help me here. I'll help you there. Little things are passed along like, okay, I did you this favor. There's going to be something down the road. Give me a solid. And those things happen all the time. And again, way beyond the NFL. So Jeff Pash is a high-level ranking official in the NFL that has relationships, like any person, some better than others. Seem to have a good relationship with Bruce Allen. I think the bottom line is Daniel Snyder, who obviously we're going to talk about, brought in Bruce Allen for a reason. He's a longtime executive, was with the Raiders, was with the Tampa Bay Bucks. Like me, was an agent before entering the NFL. He was the first, I think I was the second or third. And he brought him in to curry favor in the league office, among other duties, so that the Washington then Redskins, now football team, would have a competitive edge on all 31 other teams with important people that make decisions. I'll just say one more thing about that before we move from this topic. Everyone in the NFL, everyone, 
every single team felt a persecution and inferiority complex about the NFL. I know I did. That somehow, some way, they, the Jeff Pashes of Roger Goodell's, treated other teams better than they treated us. We all felt that. In our case, I'm in little Green Bay, Wisconsin. <laughs> we didn't have an owner. We're in the smallest market. They didn't care about us. Mm. Other teams, oh, they like Kraft better than us. They like Jones better than us. And this is how teams sort of get their little edge. Hire Bruce Allen. Bruce is close with all those people. Bruce has connections on the Hill. Bruce knows everybody. So that's what goes on in the sausage making in the NFL. Yeah, I, I want to get to some of these uh, bigger issues, believe me. But what about the, um, the the racist, sexist, the homophobic verbiage that came out of Gruden? Was 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 that? And then this is a very uh, important question, only especially because as we're doing this interview, there was an anonymous leak yesterday that said that kind of language was really only in those emails and in the other 649,990 there's that language just does not exist and a lot of people saw that news and responded with incredulity um what was your response when you heard about that and was that language something that you were familiar with when you were working you know a lot to unpack here dave uh, and i know i know i'm sorry but there's so yeah. much to unpack I'll, I'll start at the end and go back. No, I was obviously rolling my eyes at that announcement last night to the AP. Like like you said, 649,995, we're clean, nothing to worry about. Anonymous source, we're good, go on to something else. Um, so the Gruden emails come out. Let's start at the backwards because in 2011, that's when they're uh, from and maybe going forward with some of the more uh, misogynistic stuff later on, but the one leaked first about Demore Smith in 2011 and then onward. Okay. So I worked with John Gruden at ESPN. I was helping out Monday night football with kind of my business of football insights, giving him and Mike Tirico. I went to some of the NF MNF meetings. I found John Gruden to be what a lot of people have found him to be this ball of energy starts talking about players and then the crescendo he gets excited about a player you know we'd start talking about cam newton and he'd go on about cam newton he'd get excited about cam newton he'd go to the board about cam newton everyone's like oh my god i was caught up in the cult of gruden like a lot of people espn executives loved him he's just like he's this magical guy over there i never saw anything like that i never saw racism i never saw homophobic phobic I never saw any of that. I saw John Gruden in a football announcer context, but we don't know people, of course. We don't, I've learned in 30 years around the NFL and other, and other sports, we don't know. We don't know athletes, we don't know executives, we don't know coaches. Everyone's got their life beyond the camera. So anyway, that's part of, that's one thing. The other thing is, I'm sure you're asking and everyone watching is asking, who's leaking this? Yes. <laughs> you know, I think there's there's three potential sources. I bring up the first because of the timing of the Demory Smith leak, and that would be the NFLPA, where this maybe caused some empathy for D on the day of his vote for re-election, which he got by the minimum number of votes, 22. Could be the NFLPA. 
could be lawyers that are sitting around. You know, they obviously have this information. They're working on the case for years. They're getting paid a lot of money. Uh, they probably said, hey, someone should know what a bleep that John Gruden is. Uh, and then we get to the most likely source, which is a big source, which is the league side. Now, the league side could include executives. It could include coaches. It could include owners. And it could include league officials. So we don't know where that is. Uh, that's the most likely source. But as I just said, among that source is dozens of types of people. Hmm. So somebody wanted this out there. Right. They wanted Gruden thrown under the bus. And I've called it in my emails and, and I mean, in it's not emails, in my tweets and, and commentary over the week, I've called it the Gruden sacrifice. Uh, and let's be clear, what he did was vile and repugnant, deserves rebuke and consequences. But why him? Why is he thrown under the bus as opposed to other people? And that's what we don't know. Uh, I think it's disingenuous to say, this is it, look somewhere else, we're done with this. Um, and I think whoever leaked it maybe was short-sighted to think that we'd sort of be done with it with Gruden. But I'll say this, you know, how many people are talking about Urban Meyer? Like the NFL knows, rightly so, you know this, next week, next month for sure, you know, we'll be attracted to something else. We'll, there'll be another shiny object, another drama, another saga, another episode. And then someone will say in, in November, like, hey, remember those Gruden emails? <laughs> and like, so they know, but it's up to us, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, people that want to know and, and understand more to keep this going. Okay, so you, you've read some of the theories, surely, that it's certainly bizarre that out of an investigation of Dan Snyder, the people paying the price are Mark Davis and the Las Vegas Raiders. I mean, so someone mentioned when when everything dropped and when Gruden was was uh, fired or resigned that, you know, in eight days they went from three and oh and this revival at this multi-billion dollar stadium in Las Vegas to an organization in absolute disarray. And there's word from the Vegas camp that, you know, Mark Davis is feeling like they're trying to push him out now that they're in Vegas. Um, but like you said earlier at the start of the interview, you know, every, every franchise owner's got that little bit of edge where they feel like there are people after them. But in Mark Davis's case, it, it feels like that, you know, that famous expression, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. Um, fr from... What you know from what you've heard, do you feel like these drips are actually targeted not so much at Gruden or racism, sexism, and homophobia, but are actually targeted at the Davis family and this new cash cow in Las Vegas? Does that make sense to you? Yeah, I think Mark Davis would qualify as the most, I was about to say disliked, I don't think it's disliked, uh, the most not in our club, mm. okay? So he's just kind of out of it. And uh, uh, earlier this week, I was commenting on the St. Louis lawsuit, which is a whole different thing, but the Raiders lost the sweepstakes to LA, to the Rams. Now they ended up having the last laugh and getting this incredible deal in Vegas, but I just detected through covering all those meetings that there was this condescension 
towards Mark Davis. Now, everyone uh, revered his father, but didn't like his father, but respected his father. And there's not the same there. Um, it was telling, Dave, because earlier this week, they, the, the media, of course, asked Mark Davis, what do you, what's going on? He said, ask the NFL. They know everything, which told me he was told to fire John Gruden. He, he didn't want to fire John Gruden. I just feel that. And this pressure built all weekend. We know Gruden coached the game last week with all this swirling. They lost to the Bears, but he coached it. And then, of course, during Monday Night Football, he's out. And I just think that there is this something, like you mentioned, towards Mark Davis. It's ironic because this should be about whether Daniel Snyder has culpability in all this and whether he is forced out. Where we're talking about is Mark Davis going to be forced out when, you know, he did what they told him and fired the coach. So, you know, I think the bigger picture, which you hinted at, is this is an investigation into the toxic workplace and sexual harassment workplace of the Washington football team. This is not an investigation into the Raiders, into John Gruden, into anything else. And we saw we saw quotes from the lawyers representing the women affected by this, like John Gruden being served up doesn't help us. Mm -hmm. Like, What are you doing here? And the natural inclination is, is Washington football team trying to divert all this? I mean, Bruce Allen's caught up in all of it, but he's no longer there. Uh, so what's going on here? What We heard about a $10 million fine, which is pocket money for Daniel Snyder. We heard about turning it over to his wife. But is that it? Like, are they just gonna skate, you know, where where Gruden sacrificed and they move on? So that's what we wanna know. Yeah, you said that word skate, which is in my next question. Uh, great observation about there being the club. It certainly, uh, and Mark Davis being outside of the club, that certainly goes with everything I've read about how ownership meetings go and how those personal relationships go. So that brings us to Dan Snyder. Uh, is Dan Snyder part of the club? And th this franchise in Washington was, when I started sports writing, I did an article about the most valuable franchises in the league, and it was Washington 1, Cowboys 2. And you know, the, the, Washington is not in even the top three anymore. And it raises this and of course you know the attendance at games is an embarrassment if you're the away team you're louder than the home crowd it just it raises you know you, you think about the history of washington and rfk and the way the wood bleachers used to vibrate and it raises this question that a lot of us i live in the dc area that we all have why does dan snyder always skate is he part of the in club and and then why is he part of the in club if he runs the business in such a way well some personal disclosure i think you know this you're talking to a guy that you're looking at born and raised in washington dc and every every sunday since i was a toddler going to rfk stadium with my dad some of my fondest memories that place shaking obviously and great memories of that team just just like that was it. Going to Redskin games was my, you know, highlight of my weeks back then. Uh, so I'm personally uh, invested in what you're talking about. 
my allegiance has changed, not so much because of the change in ownership, but I started working for another team. That's hard to, hard to maintain a relationship with a team. So anyway, it does affect me personally at what, exactly what you're saying. He is part of the club. He is clearly part of the club, very close with Jerry Jones, who's maybe the most influential NFL owner. They're close. Um, he is part of the club. I don't know. I mean, listen, I'm a lawyer, so I'm all about precedent. So I have two questions on precedent, just throwing it out rhetorically. Number one, if this trove of emails finds racist or homophobic or sexist or naked pictures from someone else, owner, executive, coach, are they fired? Right? That's the precedent. But number two is a bigger one about Daniel Snyder. This kind of didn't get a lot of attention. Well, maybe it did at the time. But the owner of the Carolina Panthers, who was a power broker, who was in the club, Dave, mm-hmm. Gary Richardson, was pushed out of ownership in Carolina for what what Sports Illustrated reported as weird, you know, foot rubs to women, uh, pats on the back, maybe a back rub below the bra. I, I don't know. But it just seems kind of benign to what we're hearing about with Washington and looking up skirts and naked, naked cheerleaders. And what about that? Like if I'm, if I'm a lawyer and and I, I'm teaching my sports law class and say, okay, guys, here's the precedent. Donald Sterling kicked out for this. Jerry Richardson kicked out for this. A student's going to say, Hey, professor Brent, what about Daniel Snyder? And I don't have a great answer. Now, now maybe he's above all this. This was executives. This was Bruce Allen. This was all these other people. This was taking them on the junkets to Costa Rica with their cheerleaders. I wasn't there. Not me. Not me. My wife's running the team. I don't know. Uh, but to the direct question, he is in the club. The franchise is still very valuable, but it, it is hard to see. You know, like I mean, I was in Green Bay when we went to the southern places, Arizona, San Diego, Tampa, Jacksonville. Yeah, we'd have half the stadium was like Lambeau Field. I have a feeling Washington's becoming that. And it's yeah. not it's not a Miami or, or Arizona. It's happening in the northeast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's painful, um, actually, if you go out there. Uh, there, there are several online campaigns to release the emails. Uh, some of them put forward by very prominent people like Mike Florio, Pro Football Talk. It's not just uh, you know fringe people trying to start these campaigns. Um, will that make a damn bit of difference? Yeah. And does the NFL care about things like the thirst from their fans to see these emails? I saw one person comment that if the emails don't get released, it's a public public relations hit of about a three. And if they do get released, it would be a public relations hit of about a billion, probably. So they're going to want to keep them. But how long can they resist public pressure? I guess that's, the, that's again, looking at precedent. I was covering all this for ESPN. I was covering the lockout. And, oh, uh, they're never going to watch again. This labor is just turning them off. Ray Rice, never going to watch again. This is turning me off. So many broadcasters, I can't broadcast this anymore. Okay. 
Uh, Tom Brady, this is so unfair. I'm never going to watch again. It's terrible. Okay. Colin Kaepernick, as you know better than anyone, never going to watch again. It's terrible. It's turning me off. Okay. None of that has happened. Um, so again, if you're in those offices and you're calculating, like you said, I just said it before, they'll move on. They meaning me, Florio, you, everyone, they'll move on. Mm. I can't say we won't. Um, now, we've got the two most prominent names in newspapers on this, right? So we've, these, these leaks have come out of the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, and maybe I believe the Washington Post. So we've got, and Washington Post did great reporting on the toxic workplace there uh, with the team, and still is obviously has those contacts with the women and what's going on. So investigative journalism is gonna be important here, Dave, but yeah, I don't know if the NFL is quaking in their boots. You know, I wrote about a four-year litigation in St. Louis that keeps going against them, and they keep saying, eh, we're not turning that over, whatever. No, like, if they're telling a judge, go pound sand, yeah. I'm sure we could have that attitude towards media. Mm. And one last question for you. Based on what we've seen and based on what we know, do you want to conjure a guess as to what's said about Colin Kaepernick in these 649,995 emails? Well, there's the legal side, which is, is there collusion, which is one or more team, I'm sorry, two or more teams or a team and a league conspiring concerted action to keep them out. And based on the fact there was a lawsuit and a settlement, I'm not sure there is that those emails. But I would think, and I think there was one even released, maybe that was with an ESPN person, that there's going to be some slanted emails against Colin Kaepernick, certainly in that trove, where it's not, hey, it's not the legal standard of collusion, like, hey, Team X, Team Y sent an email, don't sign them, or teams getting together and saying, let's not sign this guy. But I think there is going to be language in those emails very slanted against Colin Kaepernick. Mm. Very negative about that situation. I would think that's definitely in there. Mm. Well, Andrew Brandt, you've been so generous with your time. Is there anything I'm missing in this story? Mm. Anything about it that's uh, got tickled its way under your skull that you want to comment upon? I think the only other thing I'd comment upon is this sort of feeling about John Gruden walking away from, pick a number, $50 million. I don't believe it for a second. I don't believe it for a second. Now, I'm a lawyer. If you resign, technically, you don't get your money and the rest of the contract as if you were fired. But obviously, he didn't resign willingly. And I just think that, you know my saying, there will be lawyers. Yes. If there haven't been already, there will be a lot of lawyers here to make sure John Gruden from the league side or the Raider, whatever side, doesn't talk, doesn't go through all their other emails that other people sent him besides Bruce Allen. And then from Gruden's lawyers saying, OK, what are we doing here? He's got 50 million left on his contract. How are we doing this? Because he can be a thorn in the league side here. And I think we're going to talk, we're going to have it. If he, we don't hear from him, 
you can be sure there's a lot of money making sure we don't. Mm. Andrew Grant, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate you coming on the pod. Always good to be with you, David. Always appreciate your work. Mm. Smart stuff. We'll be back right after this, after a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. We'll be back right after this, but first a quick word from the sponsor of this podcast, The Nation Magazine. Okay, look, the need for independent journalism has never been more important, and The Nation brings it each and every week like they've been doing since 1865. I'm serious. This is what you gotta read. It's The Nation Magazine. Go to thenation.com slash subscribe, and please never forget that when you support The Nation Magazine, you are also supporting the continued existence of this podcast. So please subscribe. Go to www.thenation.com slash subscribe. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. Okay, now I've got some choice words. Okay, look. While the sports world was fixated this week on a leaked email scandal in the NFL revealing racism and contempt for athletes at the top levels of the league, as well as on Brooklyn Nets guard Kyrie Irving's stubborn insistence on his right to infect others with COVID, a massive injustice risks being overlooked in Texas. After seven hearings on anti-trans bills during the state's third special session, the Texas House passed a bill to ban trans kids from sports and open the door to surveillance and intrusion into the bodies of all youth athletes. Under House Bill 25, K-12 students are now forbidden by law from competing on school sports teams aligned with their gender identity. This bill is now on an express train to the state Senate and the governor's desk, where all parties are expected to give this abomination a big thumbs up. The bill, sponsored by Republican Valerie Swanson, passed by a 76 to 54 margin. Its main impact, other than sanctioning bigotry and marginalization, is that it will change the current guidelines which allow for kids to play sports in groups corresponding to their gender identity if and only if their birth certificate has been altered, an arduous process that already puts significant hurdles in front of transgender youth who want to find competition, community, and heaven forbid, fun in the world of sports. Now even that narrow loophole will be off the table, as legally changed birth certificates will no longer be allowed to be accepted by school administrators, even if they strenuously disagree with this ruling. Basically, the new law would mandate that principals, teachers, and coaches be bigots. Not unlike the banning of the teaching of so-called critical race theory, another obsession of Texas Republicans, the bill forces educators to either enforce unjust, abusive rules or defy the law. House Bill 25 comes on the heels of other Texas legislation from earlier this year, limiting the gender-affirming health care that can be given to trans youth. For people who argue that these laws are just about sports, please realize that they are not. State Representative Mary Gonzalez made this very clear, saying, if you care about mental health, and I know you do, then do this simple thing and not advance this piece of harmful legislation. We actually also know that this is a non-issue, that there is no issue with transgender and intersex students playing sports. As for Swanson, she has seen this entire ordeal as cause for celebration, saying, this is all about girls and protecting them in our sports. I'm excited that we have the opportunity to stand up for our daughters, granddaughters, and all our Texas girls. The problem with this logic is that there have been zero complaints, that's zero, 
of trans women and girls keeping cisgender women and girls off the playing field. As Representative Julie Johnson asked, how can you say that girls are being unfairly positioned in competition in the state of Texas to justify this bill when there has not been a single complaint? In other words, this isn't about sports at all. It's an attack on a highly marginalized population for no reason beyond hoping that excessive and extensive cruelties keep them from coming out and expressing who they are. We should be asking why this is a priority for Texas at all. As Chase Strangio, a lawyer for the ACLU and a former guest on this show, said to me, with a failing power grid, a pandemic, and an escalating climate crisis, lawmakers chose to mock, demonize, and ultimately use the power of the state to bully an already marginalized group of young people, all to solve a problem that plainly does not exist. Trans kids are not dominating in sports. These days, trans kids spend far more time in state legislatures begging for their humanity than they do on the sports field. This is an intolerable piece of legislation that Governor Greg Abbott will sign with glee. For people who love our transgender family and friends, and for anyone who believes that legislative brutality is not the way to bring people closer in the human family, this is the time to speak out. Despite the tireless work by trans youth and advocates, the Texas vote has received little to no publicity outside the state. For the Valerie Swansons of the world, there is a reason they prefer passing these bills in the dead of night. We have a duty to shine a light and to connect this barbarism with the spate of legislation coming out of Texas that does nothing to solve people's real pressing problems and everything to distract, divide, and demonize young people for just wanting to play. We'll be back right after this, after a quick word about how you can support the Edge of Sports podcast. We'll be back right after this with a quick word from Edge of Sports. Hey, everybody out there. This is Dave Zirin with the Edge of Sports podcast. People got to know that we put this podcast on with elbow grease and, and bubble gum on a weekly basis. And we're proud of the work that we do. We love it. But we can't do it without support from you, the listener. So please go to patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod and support the podcast. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. Any little bit you might give to support the podcast actually makes a huge difference to the work we're trying to do. That's patreon.com slash edgeofsportspod. We appreciate you. Make no mistake about it. And now, back to the Edge of Sports podcast. And now, instead of a just stand up or just sit down award, I just have a really quick word about Kyrie Irving's recent comments uh, that he is willing to give up millions of dollars in the name of not getting vaccinated and that he is actually the voice of the voiceless of all the people out there who don't want to get vaxxed against COVID. Okay, look, I respect every athlete's right, no matter their politics, to use their platform and speak their mind. But that doesn't mean we have to mindlessly applaud their every utterance. That's patronizing, that's, I would argue, racist when it's a black athlete, and it's just as bad as shut up and dribble. You know, so in that spirit, I wanna take Kyrie seriously at his word and seriously argue that he is absolutely wrong here. After hundreds of thousands of deaths, which have disproportionately hit people without health insurance, true solidarity is getting the damn vaccine. For someone like Kyrie, who has offered solidarity to Palestinians, indigenous people, and the Black Lives Matter movement, he is now taking a position that is the 
negation of solidarity. I understand that the mistrust of Kyrie and many others is rooted in the incredibly, incredibly wicked history of racism in medicine in this country and the lack of mistrust of anything that the federal government puts forward. But we have to realize that this is why Ted Cruz and Donald Trump Jr. are cheering Kyrie on. They don't believe in the concept of public health and they don't care if millions die. They'll be in Cancun while people die needlessly in overstuffed hospitals. Kyrie has a platform to make a difference and instead he is doing harm. And one last point, it, it rankles that Kyrie calls himself the voice of the voiceless. That That's a bit of a cliched phrase, but its roots actually lie in a description of prisoner, unjust prisoner, Mumia Abu-Jamal. And so I would say, you should not use that phrase in vain because if there's one thing that Kyrie Irving, Ted Cruz, and Donald Trump Jr. and their cohorts have, it's a voice. I mean, my goodness, over 95% of NBA players are vaccinated and yet Kyrie Irving gets a voice to spout what I would argue uh, is nonsense. And damn, it hurts to put those three names in the same sentence. Kyrie Irving, Ted Cruz, Donald Trump Jr. They don't belong in the same sentence, not by a long shot. So Kyrie Irving, you know, respect your right to privacy, respect your right to have an opinion, could not disagree with you more about your perspective about what this vaccine means. You are arguing for the negation of solidarity and the true voiceless are the over 700,000 people who've died. We are back on the Edge of Sports podcast for the segment that is becoming far more popular than anything I do. It's when I talk to my 13-year-old son about his NFL picks, which are shockingly successful. His name is Jacob. We call this section Jake's Takes. Jake, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Good, good. We got to wake you up a little bit. It's early on a Saturday. Jacob is struggling, but, you know, the show must go on. Right, Jake? Yes, it must. Yes, it must. First, um, in the name of full disclosure, people got to know, we're recording this on Saturday. We actually recorded a version that did not come out well uh, on Thursday, where Jacob also predicted the Thursday night game between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Philadelphia Eagles. What team did you predict for that? I predicted the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mean, at least it's like an obvious pick, so it's like... We believe you. It's okay. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. But it's not like a thing where it's like like a really good game or it's like a close matchup, you know? Yeah, you picked the Bucks. And you also picked the Bucks as your uh, bet the house game as well. So you, you are once again successful in your I, bet the I, house I, I game. I think I'm going to pick a new one, though. Really? Yeah. Well. You're going to have a new bet the house game? Ooh, exciting. Spicy. All right. So let's do this. Um, it's week six of 18. Can you believe we're already a third of the way done? It's crazy. It is crazy. It's going by so fast. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's do this thing. First of all. Uh, tomorrow, that's Sunday, 9.30 a.m. Oh, my goodness. We got another London game. Dolphins versus the Jaguars. Who you got? Now, um, I you, I think that the Jaguars over there will be an upset. And, um, you know, I think there's still going to be Jacoby Brissett at quarterback. Even though I've heard some things that Tua might play. Even though he's not even off the IR yet. But I'm going to take the Jacksonville Jaguars to get their first win. The Dolphins, they haven't, their defense hasn't lived up to expectations. You know, they have good receivers. Jalen Waddle's good and stuff. But I'm, I'm going to take the Jaguars to get their first win against the subpar Dolphins team. 
Wow. Okay. So upset right off the bat, Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, this one has been the toughest one for me to predict this whole week. I'm being honest with you. Um, I have no idea. Uh, Minnesota Vikings going to Carolina to play the Panthers. Panthers started hot. They're not looking so good right now. The Minnesota Vikings have frankly looked pretty good all year, but their record is booty. So who do you like? Minnesota Vikings going to Carolina. You know, two and three isn't that bad, you know? Yeah. But, you know, like the Vikings, they are such an on and off team. But I am still going to take them because I think that Justin Jefferson is going to have a good day today. I think, you know, they have a lot of talent on that team. And I think they're just going to – I don't think this is going to be that close of a game. Mm. You said today, but clearly tomorrow because this is Saturday. We have to be clear about that. Yes. This is Saturday, everybody. No BS. Nothing coming. Nothing weird. We promise. Okay. Next game. Ooh. Chargers, L.A. Chargers visiting Baltimore to go against the Ravens. For a lot of folks, this is the game of the week. Uh, There was a call to actually flex this game, but it's not in the – they couldn't do it with the television, whatever. The point is is that this is the game of the week. L.A. Chargers travel to Baltimore. Who do you like? Now, Lamar, we got to talk about him first. You know, 442 passing yards and four passing touchdowns is no joke. And he looked really, really good. Mark Andrews looked really, really good. Marquise Brown looked really, really good. But the defense has been shaky. The Chargers have been hot. And that hot stick is going to continue for L.A., even the Chargers. In Baltimore. In Baltimore. You're, you're breaking my purple and black heart. Okay. Uh, the Rams of Los Angeles traveling to New York to play the New York football Giants. Who do you like? Now... The Giants, you know, Daniel Jones, I don't know if he's playing this week because last week he got he was at, like ruled out of the game with a concussion. You know, uh, Saquon's out for this week. This is actually going to be my bet the house game for this week. What? The Rams over the Giants, easily. Oh, That's you, my bet the house you, game. But you already had a successful bet the house game in Tampa Bay. You're risking your entire reputation. Uh-huh, I am. Oh, my goodness. It's a bold kid, I swear. I disagree with you on this one, actually, too. I think the Giants are going to win and Jones is going to play. Mm-hmm. You heard me. You're crazy, man. Oh, thank you. Ah, respect for the father. Uh, Houston Texans go to Indianapolis. Who do you like? Now, the Colts played a really good game on Monday night. Prime time. They looked really, really good. And they honestly deserved to win that game if he wasn't playing like a, a Superman. But, you know... The Texans, they still have Davis Mills at quarterback, who actually played a really good game last week, besides, like, you know, throwing four picks against Bills two weeks ago. <laughs> but I'm going to take the Colts in a blowout. I could take that as my bet the house game, but, you know, in division matchup, you never really know with that. So I'm going to take the Colts. Yeah, and I like the Texans in an upset, oh so we'll God. see what happens. Uh, Kansas City Chiefs travel to Washington to play basically what's going to be a home game for them in Washington because of all the – Chiefs fans, who do you like? Um, you know, both teams are actually two and three right now, and Washington has looked shaky. The Chiefs defense has been really bad. Patrick Mahomes has not played up to his expectations. But besides all those bad things about Kansas City, they're still gonna win this football game. Don't hop on that train where the Chiefs aren't gonna, you know, make the playoffs or anything. They're still gonna be they're gonna they're going to get over 10 wins. Give me okay. the Chiefs. 
Wow. Uh, the Green Bay Packers traveling to Chicago. And what is the oldest rivalry, I believe, in NFL history? Packers versus Bears. Now, they're starting running back. Who's starting running back? David Montgomery. He got out. Their backup, who's actually I really like, Damien Williams. Now, he's out. For Chicago. Yes, for Chicago. You know, Justin Fields, he hasn't looked like amazing. But his last game, he actually played pretty good. Besides, like, you know, throwing a pick. And the the Bears pass rush is arguably so far this season the best in the NFL. And I really want to take the Bears. And I'm gonna take the Chicago Bears. Oh my god. Upset. Even with their the holes are running back, you know. Even with all that stuff. Their their team hasn't looked like amazing, but you know, I, I really like that defense. Jalen Johnson has looked like such an elite corner this season. Pat, I mean, his passer rating allowed is like 40. It's just it's just unreal. Give me, give, give, give me the Bears. My goodness, bet the house. I wouldn't bet the dog on that one. Cincinnati Bengals traveling to Detroit. Another game that I think is really hard to predict, Bengals versus Lions. All right. This game, I have, I have mixed opinions about this game. You know, Joey B is a good quarterback. Joe Mixon is a very good running back. Mm-hmm. And I like that team, but the Lions still aren't going to win this game. Mm. And uh, that team, you know, I, I, I like their team. I like Quintez Cephas. I like TJ Hawkinson. I, I really like DeAndre Swift. The Bengals are just a better football team. They're going to win that game. Mm. Disagree. Arizona Cardinals traveling to Cleveland to play the Browns. Now I'm kind of torn on this game. I thought, I thought picking the Browns over the Cardinals was going to be an upset. But apparently the Browns are favored in this game. What? And I'm like, I'm like, huh? Like, how are the Browns favored? So now I'm gonna take the actual upset. Give me the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, so the unbeaten Arizona Cardinals. The unbeaten Arizona Cardinals against a against Flawed. a Baker Mayfield with a Odell, who they don't really have a good relationship with. They should really trade Odell. He does. He deserves to be somewhere else. But that's besides the point. I'm gonna take the Arizona Cardinals in a good game. Dallas Cowboys traveling to New England to play the Patriots. The Cowboys probably the second hottest team in the NFL to the Bills. You don't you don't buy that? No, the Chargers are more hot than them. Yeah, you're right. I just don't want to believe it because they're going to beat the Ravens. All right, Cowboys, Patriots. Who do you like? The Cowboys, their offense, really good. Patriots, their defense, pretty good. And I'm going to take the, the one of the hottest teams in football right now. So, you know, Matt Jones, he hasn't really looked, like, amazing. He's looked good, like, as a rookie. Like, on a, on a rookie standpoint, he's been probably the best rookie quarterback. But, you know, that that team is just – it isn't good enough. You know, their weapons aren't great. Their tight ends are good. Damien Harris is out for this game. I just don't – I just don't see any way they win. I'm going to take the Cowboys. Yeah, I don't, I don't see a path to victory for the Patriots Mm-mm. in that game. Uh, the Las Vegas Raiders, a team as we've been talking about with Andrew Brandt, a team in utter turmoil, uh, traveling to Denver to play a beat-up Broncos team. This is an also, also very tough to predict because the Broncos are beaten up physically. The Raiders are beaten up mentally. Who comes out on top? I'm actually really torn on this game because, you know, the new coach. You for know, the Raiders, they, yeah. For the Raiders. Do they have the same playbook? I don't know. They might have a different playbook now. That they would have to get used to. I don't think they would change the playbook, but still. No, they won't change the playbook. 
the Broncos, you know, Teddy Bridgewater, I don't know how he still feels after that concussion a few weeks ago. Their, their defense is really good. And I don't really want to take the Raiders, so I'm going to take the Broncos. Ooh, you interesting. Know, you know, I should probably take the Raiders. No, 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 I hear you. I, I I'm think I'm, I'm going Broncos, Broncos too on that. I'm going to take the Broncos. A very interesting game. The Seahawks, led by my man, Geno. Going into Pittsburgh against the Steelers. Who do you like? As much as I would love so much for the Seahawks to win, they are, they are not going to win this football game. You know, they're, 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 they have so many flaws on that team. Like, they have a bunch of good players and then a bunch of flaws. You know, the O-line sucks. Chris Carson is the most injury-prone running back in football. And they have Geno Smith at quarterback. I mean... They have a bunch of holes on defense. Like this team isn't very good without Russell Wilson. It just it just isn't. It's not a playoff team at all. They, they, even with Russell Wilson, I, I, they're not a playoff team. They need to really build up that offensive line. But I'm gonna take the Pittsburgh Steelers and Big Ben. Yeah, you know I think ugh, I, I, the other day I said Geno and the Seahawks would win it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm changing. Yeah, I'm changing. The yeah, the Seahawks Gino. defense is like a, a so piece bad. of Swiss cheese. It's like it's like Jamal Adams, Bobby Ugh. Wagner, and then it's like a bunch of just trash. You know, no, let me but Jamal Adams that. is having yeah, a yeah, terrible no, no, no. year. Let, let me rephrase that. Bobby Wagner and then a bunch of trash. Like, B Wags can't be a whole defense, that's mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, and then the last game, Buffalo Bills traveling to Tennessee to play the Titans. Who you got? <sighs> Who do I have in this game? Who do I have in this game, man? Josh Allen has looked really good. Stefan Diggs, he hasn't looked amazing, but you know, he's been he's been good. I have no clue. You're not gonna make a prediction? I am gonna make a prediction. This I'm is called Jake's really Takes, not Jake's Hamletian. Alright, alright, alright. You know I'm gonna take the Tennessee Titans then, because Derrick Henry's gonna stomp all over this defense. And, you know, they have their two healthy wide receivers now with Julio and A.J. Brown. Finally, like, they're good to go. Brian Tannehill's a trash NFL quarterback. Ouch. He's not top 14. He sucks. But I'm still going to take the Tennessee Titans. Wow. There you have it, everybody. Jake's takes. What's your record right now? My record is like I know I went twelve and four last week. Amazing. I'm like fifty three and twenty seven, I think. Yeah, I'm fifty three and twenty seven. Does that include the Tampa Bay game? No, I'm fifty four and twenty. See, that's important. That means you've won twice as many games as, as you have missed. That's an amazing percentage. My goodness, everybody, mm-hmm. better than Colin Cowherd. Challenge Colin to Colin Cowherd. Challenge to Colin Cowherd. Go go blazing five against my kid. You're going to find yourself crying in the corner. Yo, that's all it is for Jake's Takes. Jake, you have anything else you want to say to the audience out there? Not really. I'm just, I'm just chill. All right. He's just chill. There you go. Uh, we'll be back right after this. Well, that's all we have for this week's show. Thank you so much to Andrew Brandt. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much to the producer of this podcast, David Tigabu. Thank you so much, Jacob Zyron with the Jake's Takes. Uh, For everybody out there listening, please mask up. Please stay frosty. If you like the show, leave a little rating. Do something. I don't know. Just do something to spread the word for the show. This is how we got to operate. Word of mouth. It's the only way to go. 
For everybody out there, please mask up. Again, please stay frosty. We are out of here. Peace.